Hello there. This is Cassia. And this is Brian. Welcome to The Ebon Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news and Knights of the Old Republic. Spoiler alert for Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films, TV shows, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. Hello and welcome to the Ebon Hawk podcast. We are getting ready to start off Act 3 of our KOTOR cinematic adaptation. And the first stop on the way is Korriban. And we're going to have to make a stop along the way to pick up a guest because we have someone with us to talk all about this new location and get this film started off. Today we have Gabe with us. Gabe, how is it going? Welcome aboard the Ebon Hawk podcast. Hello there. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I've been listening for a while and... I, I've just been fanboying all day to be here. So thank you so much. Yeah, yeah thanks no, for thank coming on. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for uh, taking the time out to come on. So uh, I guess for everyone listening at home, uh, Gabe, why don't you tell you know everyone out there a little bit about yourself and then maybe kind of how you got into uh, Knights of the Old Republic uh, specifically, but you know Star Wars kind of uh, more generally, you know, what part of your life does that come into? Yeah, for sure. So... Hey everyone who's listening, my name is Gay Gabriel. I go by he, his, him pronouns, and I'm on the younger side of the coder side. I consider myself to be born in the wrong generation. Um, I'm a 2001 baby, so I was, I'm currently 20. I'm still in my undergrad. I'm studying poli-sci and IR at school. And the I will definitely say the reason why I mention that is Star Wars has definitely influenced my own academic journey. And in this case, my own. Um, educational journey. So going back to it, um, I was a military child. I was born in Germany and I moved around a lot when I was younger. And in 2006, one of my favorite moments of life that I keep reliving, um, I watched episode three with my dad, Revenge of the Sith. And that was the first Star Wars movie that I've ever watched. And to this day, it's still my favorite Star Wars movie. Still my, uh, like, just favorite memory of life. One of the reasons is, uh, gonna take a quick turn here, but it was the last movie that I watched with my dad as he passed away soon after um, due to a car accident when we were moving. But to this day, Star Wars has always been a special place in my heart because he was a poli-sci major and he would point out the parallels to me when we were watching. He and I would have our own lightsaber battles. I remember he bought me uh, Yoda's and Anakin's lightsaber back when episode 3 was the craze and then eventually my cousins would help me on my Star Wars journey show me the other movies and we'd play Battlefront here and there but it wasn't until uh, I was at a family gathering um, after my dad passed away I think it was my first Christmas and I got so lucky playing White Elephant that the gift I opened was an Xbox and I was like, oh, whoa. Nice. And um, I was like, dang, but I don't have any games for it. So luckily my aunts who knew that I was crazy about Star Wars were like, okay, we'll go to GameStop for you or Target and buy you a few games. And eventually they came back with um, Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2 and Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy, and Kodar, Knights of the Old Republic, and Knights of oh, the nice. Old Republic 2. And I was like, oh, okay, what's this? So... Uh, me being the five, six-year-old that I was, I'd 
boot them up. I knew how to play Battlefront because of my cousins and everything. And I knew Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy is pretty easy. You press the trigger on the controller, you swing the lightsaber. But when I booted up Knights of the Old Republic, I was like, this is the hardest game in my entire life <laughs> because I have to read. And yeah, I, of course, I used to be the kid who would just press A, skip the cutscenes, not really understand, but... Um, the older I got with the game and the more playthroughs I got, the more I fell in love with it. And I don't know how I kind of put it. My best friend helped me out um, with uncovering this. But I felt that like the movies were always my dad and my cousin's thing. And then they grew up on the 2002-2003 Clone Wars series. So that was their thing as well. But I finally had like kind of something that I knew for myself which was the Old Republic era the expanded universe and Star Wars Legends that I can claim as my own nerd safe space and so I finished Knights of the Old Republic 1 I was totally blown away I remember um, I was terrible at understanding the attribute system though so I boosted my strength all the way up and defeat defeated Malak that way but then I decided to play it again and boy I I, I will tell you, I was totally immersed in the experience and I tried finishing every side quest and being an over-completionist to the point where I'm like, okay, start at Kodar 2. Um, and I was blown away even further diving into the universe and I'm like, okay, I kind of became that toxic Star Wars fanboy who became the, you're not a real Star Wars fan if you don't like Darth Revan. But I eventually came around and was... I, I tamed myself down, but it just... Knights of the Old Republic became kind of my Star Wars identity. And it's what's mm -hmm. made me enjoy Star Wars more than any other franchise in my entire fandom mind. So, yeah, that's me and my own Star Wars journey. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very cool. That's a, definitely a good way to, you know, get started into it. And, yeah, it's weird how we each kind of come into Star Wars in our own uh, way and our own time and our own uh, different part of life so that's that's really cool and that's yeah definitely a good uh, introduction into the knights of the old republic world i think those were some you know good ants that went out and got you those that's a uh, that's a great set of games <laughs> to get you started yeah i know absolutely it was funny because even though i didn't understand she's like i heard this game is super good and i know she's just pointing to the platinum hits thing because she doesn't really play video games but and then she started pointing to bastila yeah. and she's like you know, I want to be her. I want to play as her. And I'm like, huh. So when I started, um, after I finished Terrace and everything, and I'm like, huh. So this is as much as you can play in terms of characters and playing as Bast Love. Well, she's going to be disappointed, but I'm going to have the time of my life with this game then. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad Star Wars, like, uh, uh, means so much to you. And it's a cool... Everyone has their different branch of the Star Wars tree. Like, for me, it was the prequels and definitely KOTOR. Uh, but we're all climbing the same tree, you know? Like, as long as there's a tree, you know, like, a healthy tree, like, it doesn't matter what part we all cling to, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I'm yeah, just trying sure. to keep the memory of my dad alive with his own fascination with the Star Wars universe and share it with those close around me, so... Just keeping the cycle of love going. After all, they are a space drama, and it's all about love. But 
just keeping what makes Star Wars Star Wars, which is, as George Lucas puts it, family at the core center of my own mission and vision in life, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. that absolutely. Um, and, you know, so, so what uh, Cassie and I have been doing, you know, over the last several episodes, we've been going through kind of our, you know, imagining of what a Knights of the Old Republic uh, film is going to look like. And, you know, we've been definitely trying to tie into those, you know, original Star Wars themes and, you know, the themes that George Lucas brought to us in his movies and, you know, kind of putting our own spin on it and thinking about how how a, you know, a 50-hour game is going to play into a movie. Um, and that's, you know, what we brought you on here today to talk about. We're getting ready to start the third act of our, uh, you know, Knights of the Old Republic trilogy. Um, so just to do a quick recap, so in Act 1, uh, if if you played the game, you're probably pretty familiar with this because we go pretty linear to how you do the game. A little bit of changes up, but uh, in Act 1, you know, we're on the Endar Spire and we get to Terrace. Uh, rescue Bastila. Um, we meet Mission and Big Z, uh, Candorus and T3. There's a lot of things going on in Terrace. And then we go to Dantooine, uh, meet up with the uh, Jedi Council, meet Juhani, and we find the first star map. Uh, and that kind of sets us on the uh, path through, uh, through the game and through this film. Uh, and then we end the first uh, film on Kashyyyk, where we meet Jolie. Um, and we have the bulk of our party then at, you know, at that point. And then we get into the second film, which is a little bit more of a downer. Uh, everyone's kind of, uh, you know, gets kicked around a little bit. We, uh, you know, lose some party members, but, you know, it's not all bad. We make a little bit more progress. So act two, we start out on Tatooine. We pick up everyone's, uh, you know, favorite assassin droid, HK-47. We get to <laughs> we get to Manon, and then uh, we get captured on the Leviathan. Uh, but, you know, Bastila, you know, everyone's everyone's favorite uh, Jedi, you know, ends up uh, going off with Darth Malak, and things are looking bad at the end of Act 2 uh, for the team. So that brings us to right now. So we're starting Act 3, Act 3 of our Knights of the Old Republic trilogy, and the first planet up for us is Korriban. So I guess to kind of break into this, um, I'm going to start with you, Gabe. So when you're playing the game and you get to Korriban, uh, most play most people save that for the last of the planets you go to. Is that how you play it? And when you get there, you know, what does your party look like? I guess as you're going through the Sith Academy and you know the Valley of the Dark Lords. Yeah, for sure. So in my initial playthroughs, I would consider myself to do a balanced playthrough so i would visit every planet first actually and then do a little bit and then when it's star map time i do all of them at the same time to just get it over with but oh, okay when um i started like having the mindset ooh, i want to have a mullet man cannon playthrough i <laughs> yeah i i definitely leave korriban for last and my party would usually consist of um the OP Jedi party is always Juhani and Jolie because I just need that force backup all the time. But then mm -hmm. I switch it up every now and then depending if a quest needs it or if I just want to trigger some new lines that I haven't heard. So I get Candorous there or I get HK, especially for that Lachaud scene when um, there's different interactions every time. I love hearing their interactions around it. But then sometimes if I need... Um, if I need the manpower, that Wookiee strength is always good. Or I bring Zalbar along with Jolie and Juhani. But mostly it's always Jolie and Juhani. 
that's who I usually take to the Jedi. Cause yeah, I need, I need the, uh, the force heal, uh, all the time going. Cause, uh, I'm not that good at, uh, battling myself, but what about you, Cassia? When you uh, land on Korriban, uh, who are you taking when you're playing the game? I kind of like to switch the party around. I don't know if I have a set people I would take in an adaptation. I mean, I, I think I would have certain characters just so everyone has screen time and like party A, party B, you know, mm-hmm. but we can we can get into that later. But it's easier. Basically, it's like when you get Jedi in your team, you're kind of like, well, other people in the party, you're never going to see the light of day because I have yeah. Jedi now. So deal with that. But that's kind of the whole uh, thing in the High Republic, right? They're like, there's Jedi here, so we don't need any anything else. Yeah. Bye forever, other people. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, For me, like, what always goes through my head when I'm picking the party is like, oh, so Korriban is the Sith Academy planet. What would be the most ironic, comedic, or the most interesting companion to take through in the Sith Academy? And I just find it so funny that you can bring Jolie and Juhani and no one would bat an eye. Like, they're like, oh, they're Force-sensitive, eh, whatever. But then if you bring Karth, they're just like, Oh, we don't know any Karthanasi here, and until of course you get to Dustel. But it's like you're just able to go freely through the Sith Academy with companions that are obviously sighted across the galaxy, and it just makes me laugh so much when I think about not the not really irony. good security. Yeah, no, not absolutely not. I'm like, wow, there, <laughs> it's much better security on Manon than it is on Korriban, like. The Academy does not have this level. Wow. Yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm glad you brought up Dustal. So as we get to Corbon, we have basically kind of two things that we need to have happen in order, you know, for, well, in the game and then also for our cinematic adaptation. The big one being we need to get the last piece of the star map. Uh, but the other thing that happens there is uh, Karth is reunited with his son, uh, yeah, which is which is pretty cool. Um, I think it's a good opportunity to get Karth kind of back in the game. He had a lot of uh, uh, a lot of not very very fun times in our act two. Uh, he always seemed to be, you know, kind of bearing the brunt of all of this, uh, you know, kind of emotional stress and dismay and just a lot of you know bad things and hurt feelings. So I think that this is a really good way to you know get Karth picked back up a little bit uh, here at the. Uh, start of our third act. Um, but what about uh, you two? Is there anything else uh, on Korriban? Um, as far as, you know, a film goes, is there anything kind of that you would like to see kind of kind of wrapped up or, you know, presented on here? Or, you know, are those two things kind of the crux of what we're trying to get done? I'd like to highlight the is it a beautiful location or just iconic? Like, I guess it's beautiful from a certain point of view. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like Egypt, you know? It's like a an old city where there's, like, a whole lot of tombs, a whole lot of uh, statues, like, gigantic statues, monoliths, um, mm-hmm. a whole lot to see, like, the Valley of the Dark Lords, a uh, Sith Temple and a Sith Academy. Like, I feel like they'd... Uh, all kind of have a different looks to them. And I mm-hmm. think it'd be cool to kind of make them all distinct, but kind of feel like a uh, part of this, this Korriban world. Right. Yeah. Because in the, in the game, there are kind of four, 
like sections, I guess, of Korriban that you go through. So you land like in the like in the little port area, which I think is called like Dreshde, I think. Yeah, and then you go into like the Sith Temple uh, Academy. You go through the caves, and then you come out into the Valley of the Dark Lords, which are all the the tombs and stuff that yeah look definitely like the you know Valley of the Kings kind of there in Egypt. But Gabe, I guess if you were you know going to be making a movie of this section, uh, what do you think like these locations look like? Do you have any um, kind of inspirations or? Uh, certain like colors or architecture or anything like that that you just kind of see visually, right? If you took your camcorder to this place, what you'd point it at? I would say the Egyptian vibes are there with the pyramids and the mummies and the tombs. That is definitely something. But I'm thinking like in Egypt and Petra where everything Mm -hmm. is redstone and it's all grinded into the wall. Just like when you go to the Valley of the Dark Lords, on each side, you see the huge monoliths and statues of each Sith Lord there. And it's what's always fascinated me whenever I go down there, aside from the excavation, is just how each tomb is built into the cave um, mm-hmm. instead of them having their own built monuments, if that makes sense. Like when we go to Egypt and you look at Egypt, you think of the pyramids and then inside is... Um, a tomb of one of the pharaohs but then when we think of the Sith Lords it's like each one has their own little room in the wall like it's a little house and a few will since I'm in college it's literally a college dormitory for dead Sith Lords so (laughs) sure yeah yeah Yeah. and so that's like what I'm imagining and then in terms of like the Sith Academy I would view it I would view it as something like out of the Last Crusade um where after Indy goes into um, into Petra and looks for the chalice, he's he's surrounded by a lot of dark, vast catacombs and walls and tombs, and he just mm-hmm. makes his way through. But it definitely by having it like set inside that cave type of structure, it definitely gives that feeling of the Sith are so much bigger than they seem and. They are just interwoven and always hiding in the shadows, just like the typical Sith theme is at the end of the day. So that's what yeah. I kind of think about. And in terms of Dresh Day, Dresh Day would kind of be like Cairo as well, or okay. Cairo, Jerusalem, somewhere city, in the Middle yeah. East. Uh, definitely, yeah, definitely a big city, but with a lot of desert around it. But what makes it distinct from Tatooine, I would say, is definitely the people there. Like how in Cairo or how in Cairo it's so I'd say it's so modernized now where like you have tech and industries everywhere and just like how Zerka is in Dresh Day and in like mm-hmm. later comics when um in Star Wars Legends when Obi-Wan goes at Siri to Dresh Day you see just the livelihood of Dresh Day where it's truly a bigger city but there's just merchants everywhere and that's what I think would be the best place to like film a dress day location that sounds uh pretty good to me uh what about you cassia for these kind of four locations do you have you know anything anything in mind or just kind of kind of maybe i just guess just kind of walk us through like uh, what they'd look like from you know kind of the time we land to get there i think like if you kind of just mix mars with uh egypt and 
I like what you said about Petra, just kind of like old cities, like the Valley of the Dark Lords. You can really kind of kind of just see some art, like Sith hieroglyphs and all that. And like what I like about the game is it kind of uh, highlights the futility of the dark side. Like mm-hmm. the Sith don't want to die. They try to cling on to the body and flesh in this life. You kind of see that with Palpatine too, but like you kind of just see like at the end of it, they're kind of just miserable. I mean, if that could be kind of highlighted, that would be cool. Um, And then the Sith Temple and the Sith Academy, I think like if you kind of just show it's kind of like an evil Hogwarts, you know, Mm -hmm. that would, that would be, that would be fun. And like, if you have Revan who like, he's kind of not revealing himself. It's almost like, Odysseus in the Odyssey when he comes back to his home island on Ithaca and he kind of has to like reveal himself at the best time you know like because at the end he kind of just like is like he's able to draw the bow and just like shoot the shot and then it's bye-bye suitor time you know and I that's what I kind of see like the end of uh maybe an adaptation being so that's what mm-hmm. I kind of see everything but I'm kind of just like artists have fun let let's have a blue sky period you know like right uh, let your imagination run wild so yeah I think I think it would be I think just in general it would be very surreal to see it with a huge you know a uh, couple hundred million dollar uh, budget to see this place but uh yeah I think I my thoughts are kind of in line with both of uh, yours. I think uh, Dresh Day, I don't think that it needs to be built up as quite as much of a city. Maybe it's just kind of like a landing area and then sort of like a grand bazaar kind of a place that you're just kind of walking through. Um, not as much of a city, but kind of just this just this marketplace. Um, but I do think that the market's going to be uh, heavily leaning into uh, more like black market type items. So uh, weapons and explosives and uh, spice and all that uh, stuff that you, know, you might have on a Sith-ruled uh, planet uh, there. Um, now, as far as the uh, temple and academy go, I I kind of vision envision that as like uh, kind of a like a monastery, but it wouldn't be like you know very like plainly adorned like you would think of a monastery. It would be uh, very highly adorned because these are Sith, and you know they're all about you know power and uh, presumably riches and things like that. So you'd have a lot of um, kind of like rich tapestries and mosaics and things like that hanging up on the walls just to kind of give like, I, I don't know, kind of like the uh, the opposite sides of this. You have kind of, like I said, kind of this monastery uh, type of thing, but then it's just gilded with all of, you know, these uh, riches and jewels and artwork and uh, stuff like that. I do think that it would be interesting in the Sith Temple Academy um, if like the color scheme and like the lighting was like kind of like this uh, red and purple sort of thing to kind of play on like Revan's color scheme. Cause I don't know if we need to see like direct references to Darth Revan, but maybe just kind of play on that. So like visually you're getting some nods to uh, this was, you know, Darth Revan's uh, jam. This is where he was hanging out, you know, not all that long ago. Cause in ancient Egypt, when there'd be a new Pharaoh, they would sometimes just like chisel out the name of the old pharaoh and like put their mm-hmm. name on top. I kind of yeah. wonder if Malik would kind of like have done that with 
Revan or if they would still kind of like cling on to the idea of being Revan or right. if Malik would have like kind of rooted that out. But I don't know. The thing about the Sith is like there's not the rule of two yet, but they're all trying to mm-hmm. be number one, but there's a hierarchy, you know? It's almost like they kind of have a class system, but they all want to be at the top. So it would be cool yeah. to kind of see what it would look like 4,000 years. I was going to say BCE, but um, BBY, you know? BB, BBY. Um, now I'm yeah. just, now I'm, now I'm just picturing like a, like a maintenance worker, like scraping Revan's name off of the office door and like putting up Malik like you, like you see in the, in the movies. But yeah, I definitely could yeah. see something like that. Maybe, maybe there would still be Darth Revan stuff because maybe they don't want all of the uh, Sith acolytes and things knowing that Revan has, you know, been captured and you know turned back by the jedi maybe they're kind of you know sweeping that under the rug i guess a little bit so maybe there is still some stuff about him yeah and part of it is kind of like i don't think malik is as was as charismatic or powerful as revan so like even though i think like uh malik is trying to like place himself in a place of prominence Mm -hmm. they might just not respect him as much as like maybe uh, they respected or feared Revan. It's funny that you say that because it's like, you know, playing Galaxy of Heroes, if you compare the two kids, like Malik is always portrayed as a brute. And even in Coder mm-hmm. 2, when you see like old Malik when he's still Alec like, recruiting people and you compare both models of Revan and Malik together, you just see the size difference. And I I would definitely say it reminds you of like that one scene in Shrek where it's like Lord Farquaad and then Shrek says like, oh, he must be compensating for something. Like, I think Malik just doesn't... Malik definitely has an inferiority complex. And what I can see also is him actually telling people to make statues of him inside the Sith Academy or to prepare his tomb in Korriban is just feeding Complete into that job. theme. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, it's just feeding into that theme that's like that and i'd also say like you know going back to the starforge line when he calls revan a loner when in reality it's really him like he's projecting his own insecurities and now that i can kind of see that even like that's how the entire sith academy is feeling like like going into the characters and what they look like like yuthara is totally insecure about her attraction to the light uthar is insecure about yuthara Dustal is insecure um, about his dad's influence in the Republic and everyone's just carrying a chip on their shoulder. So I don't know, it, like whenever I think of Korriban, it's the hive of insecurity, if you will. And it's the place mm-hmm. to really test your demons. And I think one great moment that now I think about it is the tomb of Ajanta Paul, where after you find his sword and everything, then he appears and he's like, I'm alone. I've definitely have made the wrong choices in life i'm so cold and you just have that great opportunity to redeem him and to make him realize like this is your insecurity this is your path and it kind of if we go into film logic like the initiating action korriban is the initiating action of kodor it's the story of redemption that despite you feeling so weak and insecure you always have that chance to redeem yourself on the good side rather than feed into your insecurities and strive for power like the Sith do. That's a really good takeaway. And that's something you could definitely 
you know, lean into and explore is, you know, that all of these powerful Sith Lords, you know, at the end of the day, they were, um, you know, they were just alone and insecure and, you know, power hungry and jealous. And that's, that's, you know, what, how they lived their life. And that's how they, you know, carried it over into, uh, into the, I guess, you know, when they uh, rejoin the force or whatever the Sith do, we haven't really, I guess, explored that uh, too much, at least that I'm familiar with. But yeah, definitely, definitely some go good stuff there. Or chaos. Yeah. I mean, I think it's yeah. also funny because, you know, you mentioned that about each Sith Lord being a loner. But when we think of the star map's location, the two of Nagasado. If, like, we go back to the comics, Nagasado was never buried on Korriban. Like, he died alone on Yavin 4. And even in Kodar 2, when we think about Ludo Kresh, you don't go to Ludo Kresh's tomb in uh, Kodar 1 because Ludo Kresh also died alone. And he was just forgotten mm -hmm. by the Sith until Kreia's like, oh, look, it's a tomb that you can go in and learn more about yourself. And even in Kodar 2, it's a place of combating your insecurities as well to redeem yourself so Korriban definitely has that theme and I love what you said about the lighting too because I think Korriban is the place of dealing with your past and making amends for your future and so it's like mm -hmm. Revan feeling that he's surrounded by his past and he's making decisions in to be the better person in the future even though he already knows who he is by now yeah for sure um, and then uh, just to kind of to wrap up kind of the way I see it, and you touched on the tombs there a little bit, and you you'd both had said, you know, the Valley of the Kings um, in Egypt, Petra, and that's exactly how I see it too, right? You have these big, huge statues and tombs, obelisks, uh, Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, Temple of Doom, uh, you know, so everything's very dusty, obviously. It's out like in this, you know, wasteland of a desert. So you get like, you know, very low lighting, uh, like torches. I would like to see them using the lightsabers as lights, like we see in Jedi Fallen Order, because that's awesome in the game. And I think that that would be really cool um, just to, you know, ignite those and have it illuminate, you know, these big ancient uh, tombs, uh, I think would be pretty cool. So that's kind of how I envision uh, kind of the the different sections of Korriban. Anyone have anything else to add about the way that, you know, kind of Korriban is going to look in in our proposed film or in your own mind? Uh, me, I think we nailed it. Yeah, I think all the mise-en-scene is there to really capture the theme of what you're trying to get at for Act 3. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, I think we nailed it too, and that, yeah, it's going to look great. So why don't we take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Gabe to talk a little bit more about what we have going on Korriban for our Act 3. So at the beginning of Act 3, there's a few characters. Uh, there's Revan, Karth, Bastila, and then Juhani, Jolie, and Candorus, the rest of the crew, and Darth Malak. Like, starting with the, the big three, uh, Revan, Karth, and Bastila, uh, where do you see them like at the beginning of the film? And we can start with you, Gabe. Yeah, so 
I think at this point the Leviathan has already happened so Bastila must be long gone but I think if you're going to start out Act 3 you would definitely host an initiating action probably on Lehan um, with the cinematography showing something of like just like how I'm thinking of the Coen brothers is uh, uh, I forgot the movies with Javier Bardem no oh no country for old men yeah there you go you start off not only with Tommy Lee Jones's monologue, but you start off with the plateau. And my film teacher taught me this, that like the plateau and the sky and the ground resembled the three forces at play with each character. And when you have um, Josh Brolin's character always interfering in Tommy Lee Jones's and Javier Bardem's character, he's the plateau. Like he is figuratively the disruption in the balance. And so... I would imagine them on Lehan with Malik interrogating Bastila, but with like a shot that's definitely going towards the light where it's like you start off in the dark tombs of of the temple and you go out to the light and it's the initiating action of coming back. And that's what you get for the third act, for the third movie of Revan coming back. And then with the light transition, then you have the Ebon Hawk come in and station itself in Dresh Day through like a kind of transition with the suns and that's how you begin yourself and everyone is kind of on edge I would say like Karth is still kind of bumbling um from act two how no one tells him anything and he has his trust issues probably uh Mission and Zalbar are playing a game somewhere in the Evan Hawk or talking about something Candrus is probably weightlifting or training um and then Jolie is probably just reading a hollow disc, and Duhani is meditating, and then Revan just walks in and he's like, "Why is no one talking to each other? Like, we're a team, and I know the Leviathan tested all of us, and now you all know who I am, but that can't be something you change about me, right?" And then no one is still talking to each other, but once you get there, then they're kind of forced into it, and they all talk on the Ebon Hawk and be like, "Okay." This is Dresh Day, Zerka owns this, but it's the Academy, which is a problem. And everyone provides their own commentary, but then Revan just recenters everyone like, we're a team, guys. Let's let's get the plan. And everyone Mission and Zalbar are like, Okay, if you need us, we're here. Um, HK is just like um at this point I'd say HK's starting to have his memory restored and he's like, Ooh, Korriban, master, I'm happy to be back and then everyone just looks at HK and is like wait you know what's here and HK is like of course I do and gives them kind of the rundown and probably throws in like a few assassination stories here and there which probably will be like super outlandish that everyone gets a laugh at but it's kind of that it's a place or the tension is really felt and the it's the Korriban will be the planet that reunites them all because they each have to confront with the inner demon within themselves and that inner demon is how to accept their friend back into the group how to make sure that they can trust Revan after finding out that he's Revan so that's kind of like how I would envision the beginning and where everyone is and what everyone's talking about and where Malik and Bastila are interacting and you just know that Bastila is being converted while they're on Korriban yeah, no, that's a really yeah. good rundown. Um, it's it's important to to remember when you're starting 
this film, you're coming off of the end of Act Two, um, and at the end of Act Two, everything that could possibly go wrong for this group has gone wrong, basically. So everyone is at their lowest of low points. So uh, as we're getting this started, it's you know you have to remember that that's kind of where everyone's starting out. So I guess for me to start Act Three, um, you're going to see Bastila doing kind of. Uh, kind of like a like a monologue to herself or she's narrating it as we're seeing her um going to Lehan uh basically just talking about her relationship with Revan and about how she had you know redeemed him and she can uh, I don't know unredeem him I guess I don't know uh, uh how to say that but basically you know she's turned she's turned him once she can you know turn him back uh you know to a complete 360 get him back to Darth Revan so it's kind of like this monologue that's just kind of catching us up I guess a little bit on you know where the second act ended and then um as that's playing out we're seeing her on Lehan and then uh you know screen wipe you see the Evan Hawk flying in. Uh, it would be awesome to, you know, kind of fly in overhead and see the uh, Valley of the Dark Lords, kind of like how you see, like, the Las Vegas Strip when you're flying into uh, Las Vegas, you know, just these huge monuments that you're coming in over top of, and then it lands, and, you know, the party uh, kind of leaves. So for me, the way I'm kind of breaking up the party, um, so we've got Revan, and I'm taking Jolie Candorous and T3. They're going to get through the temple and out into the Valley of the Kings. And I'm going to have Karth, HK, and Juhani um, in the temple. So they're going to take care of what we have going on in the temple. Um, you know, and the others are going to be out into the Valley of the Kings, you know, going through the tombs, looking for the last star map. Uh, Mission and Zalbar are informed that they're going to be staying with the Ebon Hawk uh, because, you know, for protection's sake, not the uh, you know, they couldn't handle themselves out there, but need to have someone stay with the ship. This is a dangerous place and we might need to get out of here in a hurry. Um, but I think that breaking up the party this way, and we're going to go um, kind of when we go through our little pitch, kind of get into a little bit more about what these characters are going to be doing. Uh, but that's how I'm going to break it up. Now, as far as Malik goes, in my mind, Malik should totally be on Corbon because he knows that's where we're going. So I'm not sure why he doesn't go there. Um, I think it's because he's just very overconfident and thinking that he has Bastila now. He's already, you know, usurped Revan as the uh, chief of the uh bad guys and you know doesn't really have anything to fear so maybe we check in on him you know a few times up in the leviathan maybe he's you know over top or making his way to the star forge although i don't i don't really want to see the star forge uh yet um in the film but maybe he's just you know on his way there so we kind of check in with him and maybe he's talking a little bit with bastila back and forth over the uh comms or something like that but that's how i have the party kind of set up to begin the act three uh what about what about you cassia uh how do you have everyone uh getting this getting this party started uh our act three all right this might be uh a very in-depth party but we'll see if it if it makes sense uh i like it i mean i think we (laughs) i think we talked a bit about this in our ring theory episode and like our overview of act three but i would Mm -hmm. actually begin in median res with a bit of a flashback kind of the lead up to uh the first time uh revan and bastila like fought on revan's flagship 
and then you kind of see like the Jedi Strike team kind of like approach the starship them themselves fight their way onto there and then you get a little bit of a beginning of a showdown with uh, Bastila and Revan but then Darth Malak sees his opportunity and takes it you know like a jawless coward and then you have Bastila be like I could end this guy but then she does the Jedi thing and decides to save him and uh, creates a bond and then you kind of see an impressionistic, you know, kind of lead up of events like the Jedi Council is like, you know, we could really like kind of imprint like a totally new identity on this guy and find star maps. Like, what do you think about that? And then like the formation of his identity as a Republic soldier and then like maybe Bastila talking to Trascolgo and then kind of like the lead up to the attack on the Under Spire and then the lead up of um, like kind of snippets from act one and act two leading up to the present moment where Bastila is on the dark side and like what I would do is like you kind of see like Bastila is in space she opens her eyes like because like it's kind of just like the thoughts are coming to her like she hasn't left it but behind like I think she kind of wants to be with the, the Force Dyad, you know, but um, mm-hmm. she's just in a dark place. And, like, her mind just keeps going to that, you know, but even though, like, in my mind, like, the, the Force Bond, Force Dyad isn't really active at the moment because I think, like, when Revan learned that Bastila lied to him, he, it kind of broke the trust in the Bond for now. Um, so I think like Bastila kind of just kind of opens her eyes like she was thinking of it like as she was meditating or something and then you kind of see the silhouette in front of Lehan like the silhouette of the the Starforge just so like you kind of don't see it quite until you see it in its full glory later and in my mind it would be bronze just to switch it up from like gray Lego sets you know um and to kind of evoke another age. And then in my mind, actually, you kind of just start uh, with Revan, Juhani, and Candorus approaching a tomb. Like, you don't really need to show them landing on Korriban. Like, you kind of show them in the middle of things, too. Like, they kind of have to go through some challenges to get, like, an artifact or kind of prove their mettle, you know? to the evil Hogwarts Sith Academy (laughs) and you kind of bring the loot to the Sith Academy and whoever came up with the names in KOTOR I think Uthara and Uther or Uthar they're very very similar and like maybe should have been like okay this guy is Garrett you know just like so (laughs) these names are are different you know but um you could probably like show like Uthara is kind of more goodish, and Uthar is evil. Mm-hmm. And k- kind of while um, Juhani and Revan and Candorus are kind of doing their their tomb mission to to get that artifact, you could kind of show like Karth and Jolie, like kind of like so like each half of the team is protected. There's a Jedi with them, 
And I think Jolie would kind of know that Karth needs uh, someone to talk to, a mentor, like a therapist, if you will. And uh, just kind of help him, like, talk through things because Karth needs to... I think his arc, his character arc, is to be able to learn to trust again. And I think if he comes face-to-face with his son and realizes, like, my son needs a second chance, Revan deserves a second chance, people who fall to the dark side, like, even if it's Bastlet, like, they deserve second chances, like, Karth can kind of work through his, his issues and be like, my son is alive and he has potential, and just because he might have turned to the dark side once, like, that's, it doesn't have to be permanent, you know, and they can he can kind of work through that and be like, if I'm going to give Dustal a second chance, I can give my friend Revan, who I've done a lot with, a second chance, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I think, like, whoever plays Revan, and in my mind I'm kind of just imagining Ben Barnes, because if it has to be the mullet guy, why not an age-appropriate mullet guy, you know? Um, and, like... yeah. It's kind of like he's Revan, but he's just waiting for the right time to, like, kind of reveal it. And I think he's going to kind of lead a coup at the Sith Academy. And I think, like, his intentions are good, but also self-serving. So, like, maybe an argument could be made, like, this is a light side choice or this is a dark side choice, you know? Like, because I kind of don't want it to feel like Revan is set, until Lehan when he makes that choice. So, like, you kind of get a feel like this could go either way. And then mm-hmm. kind of, like, after the coup, Revan finds the star map. And then I think, like, when he gets it, he's, like, he would go alone. And he's, like, this is something I have to do alone, you know, like, to the to the people in his party. I think he would have a vision of Jedi Revan, like, pre- Mandalorian Wars, Darth Revan, and the future Revan. And then I think he would kind of, like, have to, like... I don't know if it would be a fight, like a lightsaber fight, or, like, a a debate. Like, he's debating himself or, like, something. But it's, like, it's kind of like he has Mm -hmm. to fight himself and be, like, this is who I am, you know? Like, comes face-to-face with, like, this is who I was... This is who I am. This is who I will be. You know, he has to kind of like come to terms with like his identity and what it means. You know, maybe you could even have like a Republic soldier version of him there, you know, mm-hmm. and like Jedi, like Padawan, neophyte Padawan. And I think so he's coming to terms with his identity. And like, I don't really foresee like there being a dark side Funko Pop of Bastila for sale at the Dresday, you know market but I think like Jolie would have probably talked to him and been like Bastila's probably gonna be on the dark side next time you you come face to face with her and I think like he would be like no matter what I'm gonna try to save her when I see her again you know maybe something Mm -hmm. like that Uh, and then I think like Jolie, Karth, Candorous, and Juhani would join him uh, the adults of the group, you know, and then, like, the map is complete, and it'll be beautiful, like, Star Wars version of medieval star charts, like, let's, let's make that happen, and then 
in my mind, like Euthara and any redeemed Sith would show up later at the Starforge, like the final battle. And then in my mind, like Uthar survives, you know, and he would lead the unredeemed Sith. So just Sith, you know, on the Starforge, just because I, I don't want to spend too much time on Korriban, but like, just so like there can be some resonance later and some consequences just to kind of tie it all together. I'm fine with that. Revan, kind of like in Act 1, I think his power level kind of reflects like his knowledge of himself. Like I think he's a bit lower than Bastila. And then mm -hmm. in Act 2, kind of equal to Bastila, but lower than Malik. But I think after he kind of realizes who he is, uh, and kind of comes to terms with that, like a vision of himself, he regains and surpasses his old self because I kind of think like the, the light side, it might not be as like quick and easy as the dark side, but it's more powerful, you know? And I right. think like you're, you'll kind of see that reflected in Darth Revan because I think he's going to be more confident in himself. And Darth Malak, I think, is going to feel inferior and kind of, like, have something to prove and, like, kind of be out of control. Yeah, that makes sense, I think. Because, um, yeah, he's, yeah, basically going back to this place where he's being thrust back into all of all of this power, but now he has uh, kind of the balance of uh, both sides. He's not just on, you know, kind of one side or the other, so he can... Uh, take take all of the all of the goods, so to speak. Yeah, I think one thing, Cassia, that you said was super interesting was the fact that we don't have enough time to do everything on Korriban. Like, we can't do every single tomb. We can't do every single um, academy quest to gain Uthar's favor. So it's like, I think the hard part for me to envision it about translating it on screen would be. What is crucial, what is core to the Korriban scene that we have to keep? And what I'm thinking, I definitely love everything you're saying. I do think a Teratark battle would be cool, like just Revan versus both of them, and he just have to think about something quick. But definitely, like, I, I kind of disagree. I would like to see Uthar and Yathara there, because for me, I, I think... Keeping that theme of redemption that everyone deserves a second chance. Um, Yathara's place of getting redeemed would be great. I think if you spend an hour at most on Korriban, how I would see it play out is you actually press delete on Dresh Day entirely. And you just have it mm -hmm. as the Sith Academy spaceport. Um, and then so you can keep the, skip the entire part where Yathara has to give you the medallion to go in but you immediately arrive there and Uthar and Yathara would come out and be like okay welcome to Korriban and they would be like okay so you need to prove that you're a true Sith and then probably that's where Kartzi's dust will come out as well and then they all head into the academy together there's the little and then there's kind of just like I'd say this quest montage maybe like, you can see Revan's restudying the Sith code and then reporting it back to Uthar and then him talking to Yathara, asking for, like, tutoring. And eventually it comes to, like, 
the true test of the Sith is the tomb of Nagasado. But on the way to the tomb, they can sprinkle in the little Easter eggs of that tomb is the Junta Paws, there's Ludocrushes, there's Tulak Hordes, there's Microragnoses. And on the way, you can like have, I'd say like Revan have his flashbacks there where he sees himself walking in. Um, I'd say when he's definitely inside the tomb of Nagasado, what you said, Cassie, about facing his inner demons and the ghost, what I think about is that deleted Clone Wars episode where it's Darth Bane and Revan speaking to the sun, but instead of it being the sun, it's Revan having to confront both his Jedi and his and his Sith side instead of Darth Bane and Revan in the tomb. Um, kind of like how in Avengers and Endgame, they have the soul stone sequence. It's kind of like that. And it not only hints at uh, Swotor's like little story of how Revan has to separate himself in order to survive with his good and dark side, but it's showing his internal conflict. But that flash of light in the end leads into the star map and it shows that he will be redeemed. So just adding on to everything you said with the little tweaks there. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, uh, you would see Uthar and Uthar, um, but you'd kind of get more of a sense that like stuff happened off screen with them, but you would get the impression that Uthara could be redeemed and, and would be redeemed. And like, you kind of see that and like, there would be like, she would side with Revan and like his uh, good faction, you know, and some of the Sith students would join, you know, kind of be redeemed, you know, uh, and then like some would stick with uh, Uthar, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. not married to the idea that uh, Uthar survives, but you kind of get like the vibe of it, but I feel like if a movie were made, you could maybe have some comic tie-ins lead, like, that kind of show, like, how everyone got there and, like, the setup of everything. No, sure. absolutely. I think one thing also that I just remembered and wanted to bring up was I love your coup idea because I remember, like, after you defeat Uthar and Yathara inside the tomb, you go back and everyone's trying to kill you, but... I remember on your episode about the Leviathan, Brian and Cassie, you guys were talking about what the Leviathan means. And going back into my books of being a student, um, I just think it's interesting that when we're talking about the entire theme of redemption or like ways of ruling the world and the Jedi and Sith, it's going to political philosophy. It's the Hobbesian thing. And I think something that would be interesting is a battle of philosophy that when Revan comes as well and Jolie will kind of whisper in his ear as well um that I can see like Revan as a very Nietzschean philosopher like you can't abide to aesthetic ideas to the light and dark but have to keep that gray balance with Jolie like mentoring him but the the Sith um are ruled by Hobbesian thought with the idea of the Leviathan and the Sovereign having to rule over so when you defeat them in the tomb, Revan comes back and instead of just like a coup or a physical battle coup, it's a coup of philosophy where Revan maybe will make a speech and is like, wait a second, the way of the Sith is all about succumbing your individualism and human rights that the Jedi teaches us to keep our own self-control. 
and we succumb to a sovereign, that being Malik, and Revan, Revan convinces them to turn back to the light in that manner. And, of course, some don't, but that's how I would see the coup kind of start, where it's the battle of political philosophy and what the light and the dark actually is compared to the gray that Jolie is trying to go out with, like, Nietzschean thoughts. So wanted to sprinkle that in there as well when I'm thinking about how to make rich dialogue instead of another hallway action pack scene, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Brian likes hallway scenes, but I'm kind of like, ah, no, <laughs> yep. no I, we, we don't need those. <laughs> yep, I've been, I remember whenever I listen to your podcast, I'm like snapping all the time. I'm like, yes, no hallway scene. Let's have, let's have another philosophical battle and talk about yeah. Star Wars and bring it bring it to a relevant topic of philosophy about our lives and what it means to succumb or subscribe to different systems of governance and um, ways to live and decide and, you know, serve others, if you will. Yeah. Star Wars needs more politics, I think. That's why I loved the prequels, just kind of like... you kind of just see it sprinkled throughout and then you kind of just see the culmination of it. Like how does a democracy turn into an empire, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's kind of become a little depressing the last few years uh, to, I don't know, just like uh, there's a George Lucas quote where it's like, I'm paraphrasing him, but like, he's like, there's not a violent takeover power is given over, you know? And right. Yeah. Yeah you kind of see it like uh, throughout history and like throughout the world, you know, and I like what you bring up about philosophy because like, I feel like Jolie and perhaps Juhani and like Jedi Revan and uh, Redeemed Bastila would probably subscribe to like a, a different philosophy at the end of Act 3 because I think like with the Jedi... I like I would say like if I just had to choose between Jedi and Sith I would definitely go with with the Jedi but it it's kind of lacking cuz it's kind of just like you can't feel emotion there's no emotion no attachment yeah, there's you know? no emotion like, there is peace control. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and then so like it's kind of like you can't really be connected to anything or feel things but then like with the the Sith it's like you can feel all the things you don't have to be in control, you know, like just feel everything all the time in in all the extremes, you know, and like there's kind of not like a synthesis of the philosophies. And I always kind of thought there would be one in the sequel trilogy, but that didn't really happen. So I I just kind of wonder if like at the end you kind of get like, for lack of a better term, like the gray Jedi code where it's like, Mm-hmm. There is emotion, but there is peace, you know, there, there is ignorance, but there is knowledge, you know, like, you kind of like, accept that you can't control everything, but you're open and you're growing and you're not anxious. And it's kind of like about learning the balance in yourself, you know, but bring the balance to the force means being in balance yourself. No, oh, that's sure. awesome. Yeah, I and that's that's a really good way to um, kind of weave that story because we have, you know, the majority of our characters here kind of going in and out of light side and dark side 
I don't, not necessarily allegiances, but uh, maybe like in their mindset going in and out. So I think that just the story in general uh, lends itself more to having more philosophical discussions because our characters are seeing both sides of it. It's not like, um, you know, in some other Star Wars stories where there's, there's, you know, good characters and bad characters. And then, you know, at the very end, uh, there's redemption, but there's kind of redemption going on throughout this whole thing for, you know, a handful of these characters. So I think that it just lends itself to telling those types of stories more um, in this setting uh, with, with these uh, protagonists. Well, absolutely. I think another awesome thing that I've always thought whenever I play the game is that Korriban is the Sith homeworld. Of course, it's not no drum and cast, but it's a Sith homeworld. But then you were like in Kodor's world, the Jedi homeworld, which is Dantooine. And when you compare the two landscapes too, it's the two philosophical ideas. It's it's very black and white in Kodor. I'm sure every Kodor fan will high five each other on this, but um, like Dantooine is lush and green, but Korriban is dry sandy it's hot coarse and it's it gets everywhere you know like it Mm -hmm. (laughs) you it's just not a happy place and so i think when revan gives his little philosophical speech along with jolie not only is this a great moment to um give that speech but if there are two planets that are in common with the kodor uh games it's both dantooine and korriban except that when you visit both planets in Kodar 2, the seed has been planted when Revan was at the Academy, and you could have that as like a flashback later on if you make the Kodar 2 movies. It's like both, both may be, um, both may be black and white, but then at the end of the day, they both came to ruin. And so it's, mm-hmm. Revan has the opportunity to not just set the seed for future movies, but set the scene in people's minds that we can't just subscribe to Sith and Jedi, but we have to search for what is universal good, what is universally what we're called to do. And I think by doing that, that will definitely put the swords and the lightsabers down in the academy and cause people to think. And maybe at that moment, Dustil will be maybe the one who actually says, like, you know, he's right. And he inspires his friends then to start fighting back and that's when the fighting starts and then they run out of the academy before anyone can before like the dark jedi masters try to kill revan but at least the message was sent and that's what starts Mm -hmm. the infighting for you know the future kodar 2 movie when you see the academy abandoned oh i love the idea uh with kind of highlighting uh dust still yeah, I don't know, because I was... One thing that always strikes me about Star Wars... Okay, now anyone who's listening, hot take from me, but keep politics <laughs> in Star Wars. Anyone that says, like, keep politics out of Star Wars, it is, as a person of color um, and growing up as an Asian American, everything is political, whether it be our rights, their discussions of philosophy, or how we engage with people. Everything is political, as polis in Greek means, like... The people and that's where every system of governance comes from and so recentering that within Kodor I think that's what gives Kodor its power and its allure especially 
Kodar 2 gets into this, but using Korriban as that stage, it's, as it is Act 3, it's the climax of the philosophical challenge of what makes Star Wars Star Wars. The battle between light and dark, between good and evil, to see if our categorical definitions of things are truly what they're meant to be or what we are told they are meant to be. But instead, it's Revan telling us kind of in a lack of a better word, but like Revan as a prophet, Revan telling us that there is no light and dark. There is only the force, just like how Cal in Fallen Order in every Star Wars game says trust in the force. That's what the force is, kind of the conscience of altruistic behavior, but remembering that there is still compassion and feelings matter from both sides. And it just sets the stage for... I'd say what will end to come when you go to Lahan and you go to the Starforge where it's like Malak tells you that you are alone and savior, hero, conqueror, like you have both its dreams, but by being at Korban, it's when you complete the extremes, when you complete that you were at the extreme of the light on Dantooine, now you're at the extreme of the dark on Korban, but you finally see that you can't subscribe to an extreme. You have to you have to find your own definition of good and communicate that to others and that's what causes the Sith to break apart. And you know, even if you go into Kodar two, that's what brings up nihilist and nihilism, where the challenge of what is the Sith supposed to be after that, because Revan just destroyed their entire philosophy at the Academy where you're supposed to indoctrinate and breed thought. But yeah, sorry, lot super long-winded thought, but I just Oh, it's an yeah, excellent thought. Yeah, I just love the philosophy of Star Wars and it I would say this is like the perfect easter egg moment to like name drop people and maybe Revan can be like I had a teacher named Kray or something like that or just set up the stage for Kodar 2 movies right here and then. Especially that, you know, our first trilogy of movies are ending. Now we can have the sequel trilogy of our OT of Kodar. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think definitely name drop Kraya. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely definitely name drop her. But yeah, I think it just it paints a very um, like striking message to um, any of the, the students or acolytes there at the Sith Academy just seeing you know, Revan kind of retake his, you know, full identity out in the Valley of the Dark Lords and is coming back, you know, with these relics from the, you know, the ancient Sith Lords and uh, just seeing him being able to, uh, you know, not go down that path, I think just sends a, a very strong message to the students, just, you know, seeing seeing his actions um, you know, as much as as the words there as well. So yeah, I think that there's there's definitely a lot to play on um, as far as you know stories of redemption and not just you know a single character's redemption, but you know for whole you know sort of ideals that these students are holding. And I, I love what you say about like politics and philosophy because I I think like there can be more introspection and like thinking throughout Star Wars, not just simplistic, you know, like, good, bad, stormtrooper, rebel, you know, and, (laughs) like, 
and just kind of the ramifications of what it means for culture, you know? Because, I mean, like, a lot of people just kind of, like, wherever they stand on certain things, like, sometimes they just are like, oh, this person said to do this, so I'm just going to do this and because I'm a free thinker, you know, and they said to do this, and they, they're a good thinker, so I should just do it. But it's like, you kind of just have to think about why what you're doing, like, what you're doing and why, you know, like, no matter who you are, where you are, what you're doing, and just, like, for Revan to kind of um, be able to kind of talk with Jolie and kind of think things through, like, it's not like he's just kind of regurgitating what Jolie says, like, but kind of just, like, making a synthesis of his identity and, like, being like, this is, this is the way to go. No, absolutely, like, it's the perfect moment to also just make politics and philosophy relevant about our lives now I'm thinking about it. I think you said something earlier, Cassie, about like the Jedi lacking compassion and going back to my film teacher who just opened up the Star Wars movies for me. Um, I think at this moment, it's the best place to talk about or just say the theme straight out of the prequel trilogy where although you are good, don't let your hubris eat you because... If you go to Clone Wars, the, the Jedi Council literally said, let's keep the clones silent. And um, going back to Coder, if you look at Vrook, Vrook is literally the thesis of a quote-unquote ideal Jedi. Just an uncompassionate, self-righteous, good guy. But then when we look at, um, when we look at Malak and Revan, when they both were corrupted by Vitiate... Um, they're the same people, but instead they use they use it out of feeling where Malik is like, I must attain power with Revan and conquer the Republic in order for us to be good. Like they were too caring from the Mandalorian Wars that it turned them evil as well. So this speech that Revan can give at the Academy to start the coup is more out of a reflection like I fought in the Mandalorian Wars and it ruined me. And I was also a Jedi and I lacked compassion and I only focused on the mission that I lost the one who I love. And he hinted at that's Bastila. And then Jolie would probably smile there. And he's like, but now I implore you, fellow students of this academy, to not act out of your passions and fight for something because you want to. But fight for yourself and for others and apply compassion or serve others if you will not be not, he wouldn't say something like serve the light but he would say something along the lines like he says in Swotor like be you be yourself and don't subscribe to just schools of thought in other words like I'm just thinking very Nietzschean thought be the ubermensch be your <laughs> own person and I think that would inspire people the students to be like especially Dustil who again has the insecurity as I talked about earlier being in Karth's shadow to actually take ownership of his own life and be like you know instead of fighting for the Republic or fighting for the Sith I'm going to fight for myself and what I love or who I miss is my dad and my dad came for me out despite risking his life he came for me and that that kind of idea of love that goes back to the prequel and original trilogy and how vader saves his son is brings back the essence of star wars and you know karth 
actually Cassie now that I think what you're talking about names Karth and Darth like Vader chose to save his son in Return of the Jedi Luke and Karth does the same he risks his life for Dustil and just this speech this kind of pinnacle moment of the Korriban side just changes everyone and as I was kind of thinking how everyone's on edge it brings everyone back in together and brings back to why we love Star Wars which is the friends family and focus on developing our own individualism just like how in Rise of Skywalker Rey chooses not to not to be a Palpatine but she chooses for herself to be a Skywalker so it's the perfect time to bring back everything about Star Wars into a philosophical speech that inspires that coup. And then the fighting starts, you know. Then you can have the Darth Revan choir start singing again while everyone tries killing him. So, yeah. Yeah, and I remember one question you asked me. I like what you said about, like, the thesis statement of the prequels. So I remember a question you asked me once. What is the thesis statement of KOTOR? And uh, my answer was that anyone can become a better person and that redemption is possible. So I'm going to ask you and Brian what you guys think uh, the thesis statement of KOTOR 1 is. For me, so Knights of the Old Republic, the the thesis statement, um, the overarching narrative of it is that you are not destined to you know live by your past decisions and that there is redemption uh for anyone it's about the choices you make going forward and um you know this game it came out in 2003 it's a role-playing game the game is largely built around the choices that you make um and that you know that really kind of ties into to the thesis here it's it's not about the life you've lived and the choices that you have made in the past and the decisions you made, um, but the decisions you make going forward. Um, and that, like I said, that uh, anyone uh, can be uh, redeemed or, you know, ex experience redemption as, you know, as long as you're uh, open and willing to, um, you know, to make you know, different decisions and, uh, guide yourself so yeah. when i think of revan and his story um even taking the tidbits from kodar 2 that kreia gives us on the backstory of revan of revan being power i think of revan as a philosophical idea in other words i think of him as a parable um so i'm gonna go back to the bible here and go to jesus's story of the prodigal son where the son um, literally tells his dad to die and then goes into whatever town, spends all this money, but ends up poor and eating out of a pig's sow. And he returns back to his father and is like, Dad, I deserve to be treated like one of your servants because I treated you so badly. But then instead, the father's like, no, like welcoming him back with open arms. And when I compare this with Revan, in the Revan book and in general, Revan is known as the prodigal knight. Just like he's the prodigal son, he's the prodigal knight bringing back and conveying that since, Cassie, you said you have an English degree, Star Wars Knights <laughs> of the Old Republic conveys 
that regardless of your choices that you make or who you were before, it is never too late to choose who you are to become. And then throw in my concrete details somewhere in that essay, but um, Revan just resembles that prodigal son as the prodigal knight, that kind of continuation that mercy and compassion is by, of course, like, you can say, like, of course, the Jedi Council wronged him by erasing his memory, but it brought him back to who he was before he was brainwashed by Vitiate. That he was that same Revan who fought in the Mandalorian Wars because he didn't like how the Jedi Council didn't stand up for those who were dying on the Outer Rim. So he took action. It is all about going back to your roots at who you are as the core of a person and finding that. In my opinion, I believe all humans are altruistic and there are studies on this, but going back to the altruistic behavior we are as human beings and being our own prodigal knights and bringing that out into the world and helping others through there. So, like, if I think about it, every single quest that Revan does answers a little bit for his past, like helping Juhani and Cathar. It's his Sith Empire that did it. Also with Karth, um, his Sith Empire bombed Telos and... Uh, with Joe Lee separating his family, who else? Candorous uh, with the, defeating the Mandalorians and scattering them. Revan is making amends for his past through each and every person in his party, and each and every person of his party resembles a part of him that makes him the prodigal knight. So that would be my thesis. That's a great thesis. Thanks for sharing. Thank you for again giving me the space to share because. I'd say now I kind of want to, as we kind of wrap up here, talk about Corban. I want to deliver my thanks to you both, Brian and Cassia, that Kodar is the hidden gem of the Star Wars universe, I would say. Um, Kodar wanted to provide discussions and opportunities to break the typical lightsaber blaster wielding people that we are in Battlefront and are able to play a narrative-based game that causes us to question our own beliefs and make our own decisions. Like if you hop on Reddit and you hear anyone who does a dark side playthrough, they will tell you they feel like a terrible person afterwards. So it's I'm grateful to you two for elevating the story of Kodor and bringing back a 2003 game into the Star Wars community because, in other words, you both resemble the prodigal knights of probably the Star Wars podcast scene and bringing back a game that is no, long gone into the limelight. So thank you so much for bringing my childhood back to modern day. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Like, thank, yeah. Thank you Brian very much. That's, I, yeah. Yeah. Brian and I, we, we try to um, kind of highlight uh, and just kind of bring to light the, this gem from 2003 and like there kind of just wasn't like a main KOTOR podcast. So we're just trying to build a, a little community and kind of highlight this beautiful gem from 2003 and 2005. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's been a fun journey. And then, sorry, I think I kind of interrupted you, Brian. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. It was uh, no, exactly what you were saying. We're just trying to, uh, you know, bring it to light and to, you know, really kind of get into the nuance of what made Knights of the Old Republic so special then and still so special now and uh, how it's able to connect with people on 
all sorts of levels. And that's one of the great things about the game is that you you boot up the game and you hit, uh, you know, new game, and then you are making your character, and it can be uh, anyone you want it to be. It can be you. It can be someone that you wish you were or someone that you see or someone that you would like to see um, in this game. And I think that that's a really cool uh, way to experience Star Wars and why it resounded with a lot of people um, who might not have, you know, seen themselves in the stories or felt themselves in the stories. So this was a way to do that and explore, you know, what it really means to be in Star Wars other than, you know, like you said, you know, firing a blaster and lighting up a lightsaber. There's, you know, there's more to the the ideals and this, this whole big uh, universe that got created for us. Yep, for sure. And I definitely say in terms of like, just thinking about being on this journey with you both, since we are called the Evan Hog Podcast, now that I think of it, I think we as listeners should be called Giska within ourselves since we're on board <laughs> with you guys on this journey throughout each planet. So again, thank you from the bottom of my heart and thank you for giving me the space to talk about bringing politics and service back into the minds of Star Wars fans and listeners. Politics and service and bringing real world issues uh, to light that belongs in Star Wars. And I think what makes a good Star Wars story is the philosophy and not just like a bombastic lightsaber fight or a hallway scene. So we'll see what happens in the future. But I I think the storytelling uh, is going to evolve and I have uh, great hopes for Star Wars Acolyte and thanks again for coming on you're a great guest and uh, I love getting your takes especially with politics of course I mean I'm not paying to be a poli sci major for nothing so here (laughs) I am (laughs) yeah no absolutely thank you very much for uh, joining up with us and talking a little bit about Korriban and, uh, you know, kind of what it means in the Star Wars world and how we think it would play out on screen. Uh, Gabe, anyone listening out there, if they want to, you know, find out more about you or uh, connect with you online or anything like that, is there any anything you want to pitch or share or where can people find you? Um, yeah, the the floor is yours. So let people know about what you got going on. You want to follow me on Insta and dive into some philosophical conversation or just talk about Star Wars or just learn more about me and my own takes of life in the real world or how Star Wars resembles the real world. Um, my at on Instagram is at the T-H-E Gabe G-A-B-E Young Y-O-U-N-G. And if you're in the gaming mood, like you want to hop on Battlefront, whether it be the old one, or you want to play some Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy, or Republic Commando, or even just, you know, chat over Kodor um, through a gaming means, my Discord is young, Y-O-U-N-G, Knights, K-N-I-G-H-T-S, 2, and I'm pulling up the number right now, but that's my, that's similar to my Steam name, you can find me from there. Um, or anywhere, but then if you find me in the Kodar Discord server or any other Star Wars servers, there you go. My number is 0527, so feel free to add me. Um, mention that you came from the Ebonhawk podcast because I'd love to just talk about how awesome Cassie and Brian are, for one, but number two, definitely know that at least get familiar with where you found me from and get to 
continue the conversation of how awesome Kodar is and why more people should know about it. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, definitely reach out because those games are a good time. So definitely get on board with playing those. But um, I think for now, uh, we found the star map in the tomb on Korriban. So we are headed to our next destination. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this one, Cassia. All right. May the force be with you and we'll be back soon. And you can find us on Instagram at Ebonhawk Podcast. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. On Patreon, the link is in our Instagram bio, or you can find it at www.patreon.com slash Ebonhawk Podcast. The Ebonhawk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shoreman at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker at christianwalkermusic.com. This episode of the Evan Hawk podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>